I know it's been a while since we've heard from Andre, and his point of view is missed, obviously. It's not two guys talking wine without him, but I was able to nail him down and talk to him from Chile, which is where he is, find out what he was doing, what kind of wines he was drinking, and what he has learned. So, here we go. It's not a voice that you've heard often this year so far, but it is Andre Prue. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. My God, Andre, is that really you out there? Yeah, I'm actually feeling a little left out right now because you've really kind of gone amok. I, I didn't realize I was gone so long, but apparently everything's gone to hell without me. <laughs> well, we had that restraining order lifted, so that was good. I can yeah, actually you bring women into the podcast now. I'm actually really glad that you did that because it's one of those things that I keep, you know, I think even just as industry, we push in the back of our mind was just like, I chose people who were close to me when we did the podcast while you were in Australia last year, but it didn't even occur to me that they were all men. So I guess that's a failure on my part. And I think it's, it's great that we're talking to some of the really uh, influential and inspiring women that work in the industry. I really enjoyed your talk with Brittany. Well, great. Uh, We also have, uh, of course, we had uh, Megan from 16 Mile, and we're going to have Kelly Mason on while you're gone. Uh, Michael, her name is Morgan. What did I say, Megan? Yeah. You know what? I I do some work with a girl named Megan, so Megan, Morgan, it's all the same, isn't it? No, you're better than that. (laughs) Uh, So... Obviously, I've got a little bit of a hum here, and and we've blamed it on some hotel internet. Uh, You are where? I am in Concepcion, Chile right now. And and where were you before that, that I was able to get all these women? That sounds sounds really good for me, but not good for you. Uh, um, I've really been all over Chile in the wine regions. I've been up north to Limarie. Uh, Earlier today, I was in the uh, Itata Valley learning about like really, really old school winemaking here in the country. It's really been, it's not the trip that I was expecting, but I'm taking away more than I thought I would. You know, you're you're actually living my dream because uh, although I've been to Australia, New Zealand, and 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 a lot of old world, uh, Chile is my first wine love. Like that's where I totally got uh, smitten by wine and how interesting and how cheap it could be, or as my mother likes to call it, inexpensive. Yeah. So you know, like you're in in the land of you know perfect weather and and great wine. Yeah, the weather really is something that um, is unbelievable. Like, in the daytimes, like, it's it's the middle of January right now. The daytime highs are pushing in the 30s. And then when 5 p.m. rolls around, it's like magic. The temperature drops down to 15 Celsius. And if anyone's familiar with how grapes work, when they get exposed to too much heat, the plants just shut down. And they need some time to recover. So the fact that the grapes get all this heat during the daytime and the nighttimes that things cool off is really 
nothing short of miraculous because it gives them enough time to develop those sugars and those concentrated flavors during the daytime. And then at night, like the stress from the heat gives the vines time to relax and sort of prepare themselves for the next day. So it's, um, it's really, really remarkable to see how you can set your watch to the weather around here. It's a lot like the Napa Valley in California. So you were also in various places in Europe, but we should talk Chile because you're there. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do Europe one when I, when I'm, when I'm back. Cause I have, I've learned so much on this on this trip because when you talked about inexpensive wines, I mean that's one of the reasons I love Chile as well is places like Conchi Toro and, and Torres, or, pardon me, and uh, Montes and. Uh, Although Torres does make some great stuff, but they're mostly out of Spain. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It was a complete brain fart. I meant to say Montes and Emiliana. You know, sort of some really great entry level like Cabernet Sauvignon. And sometimes some Chardonnay, but it's really the inexpensive reds that are the highlight of Chile. And I have not tasted a lot of those wines here. So tell me what's going on with your voice, because it sounds like you have been yelling and screaming at a concert. Yeah, I'm still food, on the Are the tail... Foo Fighters down there? No, no, no. I'm on a tail end of a head cold that I got in France, and uh, it hasn't completely recovered, but... Luckily, it hasn't affected my wine tasting down here. My sinuses are clear. I'm feeling pretty great. It's just my voice hasn't been able to recover. And I don't know if anyone remembers, but last year in January, I kind of went through the same thing with the podcast. So I guess I just have bad luck with uh, with my voice in January. And it's a good thing that you've got guest hosts filling in for me while I'm gone. Well, because I was, I was thinking the last time you sounded like this was also just after you went to a Foo Fighters concert. Oh, God, yeah, that's right. That is completely right. <laughs> so, so you've been to a number of Chilean wineries, obviously. You're dead tired, from what I understand. Um, yeah. So tell me what you've tasted that is so exciting down there. Uh, you know, it's really hard to stop in just uh, a, a few a few wines. So, like, the first couple of days we were here, we visited some of the big hitters that uh, were more... You might be more familiar with Santa Rita, Conchi Toro. Um, and like I got a chance to taste the Don Melchor, and it was nice to see Isabel again, uh, who we interviewed. And that podcast should be up shortly. So it's, I, I have a feeling this one's going up before that one, but it's going to be sort of interesting that we've got the two Chilean podcasts going up before that. But just tasting really great, affordable, um, you know, premium level wines coming in at about $30, $40, $80. $80. But it was almost like immediately after tasting these few places, uh, I had a chance to go to the Lazarus and tasted a lot of Sauvignon Blanc Chardonnay. And it's really just getting a, a, a sense for the fact that Chile is capable of doing cool climate winemaking and dealing with cool climate uh, varietals. So um, it's I think the purpose of this trip is just the wines of Chile are, are showing off the fact that the future of Chile is more than just really great, affordable, entry-level red wines. And we're still at a point where 70% of this country is planted with Cabernet Sauvignon. But I'm, I'm sure that we're going to be at, at, at a turning point with that because the, the first couple of days after visiting the, the big hitters, the Conchitoro, was uh, visiting wineries that 
are, are so focused on the cool climate wine making that they're almost um, pushing away from dealing with the Bordeaux uh, varietals and, and dealing with things like Carmenere, which, you know, while I recognize as one of the six accepted varietals that you can put in a, in a Bordeaux blend, it's not really something you see vinified on its own very often. So what has been your biggest uh, surprise while you're there? Basically, grape variety-wise. Obviously, as you said, they, they're they growing a lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, but there's got to be some grape variety that you're going, holy crap, this is great from Chile, and I didn't expect it. Um, actually, I can't say one, but today uh, I spent the day the Itata Valley and we're working with uh, vineyards that have been planted for like a uh, hundred years here that have been lying essentially uh, dormant and there's people here that are working really hard to um, recapture and reestablish the um, original heritage that comes with Chilean winemaking because the history of Chilean wine goes back literally hundreds of years and we're not talking about um, Cabernet Sauvignon when we're talking about these wines uh, I did a tasting at Di Martino today and the varieties that we were tasting were saying so and uh, one of the highlights was um Give me one second to make sure I've got it. A Muscat, a Muscat Chasala blend. And what the thing that's really fascinating is, like, I know we, with the podcast, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about natural wine. Because we know that while it exists, um, I think you and I both feel that it's sort of a, a fad and a trend. And let's face it, in the market, a lot of the wines aren't very good. But what was really fascinating was visiting DiMartino and their wines would qualify for natural wines. Very little sulfur. Uh, the vineyards aren't trellised. You walk into these vineyards and they're literally just lying wild. So everything has to be done by hand. But they aren't dealing with their vineyards for the sake of being hipster wines. They're not making wines for the sake of making them natural wines. The fact that the wines are natural is the byproduct of them trying to recapture the heritage of the children. And these wines taste fucking awesome. Like, the, the fact that I got the story to go with them is, is great. I mean, it, it, the romanticism that comes with and a great story helps sell a bottle of wine. But if I opened up a bottle of their Sanso Rosé or their uh, Vieyas Tineas Sanso, we could open it, enjoy it, and then talk about it afterwards as a, as a, a byproduct. The fact that they're natural wines is a byproduct to, to the fact that they're just trying to recapture this heritage of Chilean wines. And I think that's something that really needs to be recognized. And these are the sort of wines that it would be really interesting to see in the market. And, you know, maybe it's not something that we would see at the LCBO in a large scale or, you know, several hundred cases being distributed all over the province. And I know we have the destination stores in the province, but seeing wines like this really show the failure of the LCBO system because there's no reason that you or I shouldn't be able to open a little shop in St. Catharines or Toronto and bring in 
a few dozen cases of these wines to be able to share them. Because while these wines are, are fantastic, they may not have the largest market in the world. And the wineries in Chile now have a challenge of trying to find a way to give these really beautiful, well-crafted, um, you know, small batch wines mass appeal to get them into the markets in North America. And that's not really what you should be doing if you're making really small batch terroir driven wines. I, I hope that wasn't too soapboxy with what I said. No, I, I think you're good. Have you, have you, speaking of, of Chilean heritage, have you tried any of what they call the Vino wines? Yes. Um, and it's really sort of fascinating because DiMartino, they make a Vino wine and the Vino wine, it's, um, it is Carignan that's made under specific uh, rules. But um, I think what I've learned today in, in Itata is that the Vino wine, it's sort of an exercise in marketing. They're trying to create a brand that exists for a, a grape that's more indigenous to the country. But it's almost like it's falling short of the mark because they're, they're focusing more on the branding and the marketing. But there isn't a consistent way of how these wines are made. I actually bought a bottle of Vigno from Oddfjell, which is a really great winery owned by a Norwegian who is uh, working in, in, in uh, Chile. But um, it was so different from the Nimartino brand. It's almost like, you know, it's great created a logo it's great they created a product but even the other people who i'm on this trip with are a little confused on what they're trying to accomplish with the, the vino brand you know it's almost like i'm more excited to see what's going to come out of the itata valley than i give a crap about the vino brand even though it's one of the wines that i bought because it was a really tasty wine it is a really tasty wine so vino is just old vines carignan that they dry farm isn't it and they're trying to to bring back this this old vines Carignan that they have, that I think in some cases are over a hundred years old. Yeah, but but I mean it doesn't really come through in the winemaking. The bottle that I bought from Oddfjell is aged for two years in brand new oak barrels, which, if we're being completely honest, sucks a lot of the natural terroir out of the the, the grapes because you're dealing with modern winemaking techniques and, and modern you know, tools at your disposal, which isn't a bad thing. The wine is tasty. It's a very tasty wine. But what's more exciting is seeing things like Pais and, you know, Muska Adat and um, Chassala and Sanso and some of these older vines where you have winemakers just letting them buck, like the, the DiMartino and... Uh, um, Give me one second just to grab my notepad so I can say it correctly. The Kucha Kucha. Uh, that just sounds one. dirty. I don't think you should be talking about the Kucha Kucha. Yeah, but I, but I mean, it's 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 still like it's it's just one because they're sort of embracing the natural vineyards that are there and a lot of vines that are lying on their own. I think the future of Chile lies more in that than it does in the Vino brand. It sounds like you're like in Vietnam and and looking for some Kucha Kucha. Oh jeez, you had to you had to take it there. So you texted me probably earlier in the evening, and you said something about this pais, and you said basically something to the effect of "shit, you've got to try this stuff." I figured yeah, I was you, I was allowed an s bomb. You threw in an f bomb, so I I think I'm allowed that. Um, yeah. 
tell me tell me about this pie yeast. What is that? I know I have a bottle of uh, wine yes. made from that in the house, but what is pie yeast? Pie yeast is sort of like the redheaded and stepchild of uh, Chile, and it, it, it feels a lot that the the people here feel like both pais and Senso are a little like the way we look at Baco Noir in Niagara, as it's sort of an afterthought, and um, you know it'll never be as great as like the Cabernet Sauvignon or the Syrah that's down here. But the the winemaking that we saw in, in Itata today, like there was um, a winery called uh, Magenta that was making really great pais and Senso. Um, and it, it's just a, a lot of these wines that I saw in Itata today didn't see a lot of new oak, didn't see a lot of uh, intervention happening in the winemaking process. And it, it's, it's really sort of fascinating to see because a lot of it is because the small little winemakers in this region, like wineries that are working on, on a scale of literally a, a, a thousand or a couple thousand cases, just don't have access or desire to work with a lot of new wood and, and things like that. And uh, what, what I've learned is that the quality of the winemaking in this region has come up very quickly just from educating the local growers on proper winemaking techniques and proper sanitation, keeping their wineries clean, keeping their equipment clean and things like that. Um, we had wines presented to us today from eight producers that are all working on tiny scales working with these really old 50 year old plus vineyards and uh in a country where the history is they would sell their grapes off bulk to a larger producer at pennies to the dollar they're now learning that they can vinify these wines on a very high quality and we're not talking like icon wines at 100 150 dollars a bottle but making really respectable pais and Chasala and Syrah at 10 to $20 a bottle, and they're able to make a few more bucks to put into their pocket. It's, it's really uh, inspiring and fascinating to see. Now, I, I also know, uh, just from going to your house and, and recording in the, uh, the Toronto studio, that you are a big foodie. Uh, obviously, people know we did the uh, fried chicken and ice wine, and yep. I'm sure that we have other uh, ones coming up that we're going to be talking about various food pairings what uh what's your thoughts of the chilean food chilean food is is outstanding and next time you come over for dinner i'm gonna try to have a great recipe for uh the chilean style of salmon ceviche um what what is really fascinating about it though is because of how hot it is here when you're dealing with a more typical chilean wine the acids tend to be a little bit lower fortunately the weeks that i've been here have been focused on higher acidity wines but it was uh, John Zabo at dinner today who asked uh, the people at um, people at, at Kucha Kucha. Um, oh, stop it! What? I know it's, but it's it's fun to say. I just want to make sure I say it properly. But it's it's it was it was interesting to ask him why Chilean food is so high in acid because a lot of it is high acid. Like you make a lot of quinoa with vinaigrettes. Uh, fish that's dressed with with vinegars salsas with with vinegars why they have such high acid food when the uh wines tend to be a little bit lower in acid and i didn't get a a good answer to the a good answer to the question it was just sort of an interesting observation but the seafood here is excellent the salads are excellent 
I, I'm, I'm now convinced that everyone in Toronto who thinks they're making quinoa have no idea what they're doing because I've eaten more delicious quinoa salads here than I ever thought I would, which is really, really weird because I'm one of those people where when someone is cooking quinoa, I think it smells like feet. None of the quinoa here smells like feet. Is it? It's not obviously good feet is what you're saying. Michael, there's no such thing as good smelling feet. Hey, you know, I've had some... Uh, no, I guess I haven't. So what's your big takeaway from Chile? You leave in a couple of days, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I can't believe you're going to learn mm-hmm. anything more in the next day that you are there. What's your big takeaway from this besides, damn it, I'm tired? Um, I think the future of Chile is in the Itata Valley, and we need to find a way to get these indigenous grape varieties out of this valley and into the hands of Canadians. And we need to find a way to do it. This is not discounting the great Cabernet Sauvignon and Carmenere and Sauvignon Blanc that's coming from this country. But just seeing these really small batch, scrappy winemakers creating delicious products on a small scale, the future of Chile are in the hands of small producers. And it is not in the hands of the large producers anymore. And we need to find a way to get them on, a, on the pedestal that they deserve. So what's your next big trip now that you've, you're the world traveler that you are? Uh, my next big trip will be to my bed, <laughs> where I'm going to sleep for 72 hours straight. Afterwards, I will make my way either to Niagara or Prince Edward County so I can remember what the local wines taste like, because I feel like it's been so long that I've drank an Ontario wine, I might have forgotten what they taste like. I, ha- I have to be honest today, I was at uh, Leaning Post trying some stuff with Ilya and Nadia, uh, yes, they had some great stuff. Did you tell him we need? Did you tell Ilya we need to have him on the podcast because he posted something interesting on Facebook recently about an experiment he did with cork and screw cap. Uh, I did not, but uh, we'll definitely get him on. Uh, I know that uh, we have some uh, some commitments from uh, Andre Lipinski to come on and uh, John Howard, so it's going to be a good year. If you and I ever get into the same country at the same time. Well, and I've got commitments from the guys at at DiMartino to come on because we don't spend a lot of time talking about it. But I know you and I are both healthily skeptic about natural wines. But I thought it would be interesting if we could get them on to talk about bringing some pride to the indigenous grapes of of Chile. And if we can get them in the Toronto studio or the St. Catherine studio, that would be a hell of an interview. I also know that we uh, have coming up uh, the guy from uh, Dead Rabbit, which is whiskey. We don't get a lot of whiskey. So we got some really good stuff coming up this year. But as I said, I don't know when we're going to be in the same uh, same place, let alone the same country. I have Italy coming up. I have Washington coming up. Um, I, it could be a July before we see each other. Does that mean I get to bring guest hosts on to so people can forget that you exist? I, I guess that might be the case. All right. Well, it is 1230 in Chile, which is weird because it's past your bedtime and past my bedtime. Which it's is only it's only 1030 happened. here. Yeah, you go to bed at like six o'clock. Well, that's because I'm I'm around for the three o'clock uh, special for dinner. What's a three o'clock special? Well, that's that's what they do in Florida, right? Isn't that the the early bird special? <laughs> All right, Michael. 
believe it or not, I actually miss you, and uh, I'm glad we got to catch up because uh, it's going to take a bit of time for me to decompress on this trip because uh, there is so much more to Chile than cheap Cabernet Sauvignon, and I'm so excited to share it with the people who listen to this podcast. So I'm glad that we connected. Well, Andre, when you get back, we'll uh, we'll do a little bit of a, a, a rundown of, of what you tried and and what may or may not be coming to the LCBO. Um, I know that uh, the tasting I did today uh, focused on Argentina, but uh, obviously Chile gets their own little highlight every so often. And um, yeah, it, it'd be great to catch up and find out what you what you did uh, on a more uh, intimate scale. Hooray! <laughs> Andre, get yourself to bed. And uh, I will. I hope I uh, I get a chance to see you before I head off to Italy. The thing I haven't been able to do is that wonderful little closing that you uh, always do. I screw that up so badly. Uh, so why don't you why don't you do that? And maybe I'll just make a copy of it and put it on the end of all the stuff I do. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave a review. Please leave a good review. I mean, we've had a few people rate us low stars. I'm guessing it's probably. Uh, people who write for the Toronto Star because they don't like what we're saying about them, but whatever. Uh, angry phone calls to Michael Pincus, and I know I haven't added a lot to it lately, but expect some great new content at andrewinerd.ca coming up shortly. And you are? Oh, that's right. I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinerview.com. You know what? I'll throw some stuff at the beginning and the end of this podcast. I'll make fun of Andre a little bit, and of course, as hey. always... Andre, I'm going to let you have it. Good night. Oh, my God, that voice. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.